You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. People like it when other people are bad. It lets them off the hook. But I'm not bad. I'm just listening and looking around. I hope when Ellie starts school, I can find a way to put this to use. While my parents won't let us go hungry, I want to do something with my life. I want to raise Ellie well, and I want her to have a mom who does more than raise her. I went to grad school to be a writer, and I guess I still want now what I wanted then. To write about my woes, yet use structures and plots and characters that make them your woes as well. I want to reveal something true. I want you to turn the page. Cowie Hart-Hemmings is the author of the short story collection House of Thieves, the novels The Descendants and The Possibilities, and the young adult novel Juniors. Her new novel is How to Party with an Infant. Thank you for joining me, Cowie. Welcome. This is such a wonderful book, and the sense of storytelling in this is really finely honed. You, It's a story of uh, one woman who falls in with a group of San Francisco parents, mm-hmm. but you came up with a really unusual style of telling this story. Was that uh, baked in from the beginning? No, it, I, it came about from me writing essays, true essays, and some blog posts, and some short stories, and in the end, I had all this material and nowhere to put it, or I didn't know how to use it. So it really came from writing a lot and then putting it aside and letting it rest. I wrote another novel and came back to this fairly recently, and then just finding this structure. And my editor helped me a lot as well. She had me read the book. Dear American Airlines, I think it was called. And mm. it had a structure as a as a man writing a letter to the airline company who he was incredibly mad at. And, you know, I just recently watched that movie Demolition, too, and it had the similar premise of a man writing the customer service department. So in this book, I had her fill out an author questionnaire. And... It's for a cookbook, and she uses that as a way to express her rage, frustrations, hopes, and it gives her a way to have no filter. (laughs) (laughs) She does have no filter, and that's what makes this book so enjoyable. It's such a great vision into a young mother's mind. Mm is how much of this is based on experience and were you part of some kind of San Francisco Mothers Club online admission form and all that? That's yes. really wild. Yeah. So when I was twenty seven I had my daughter and I didn't have family or anyone in San Francisco. I didn't know anyone with with a baby or a child or any anything like that. And so in order to get myself out there and make friends, I joined this mother's club. And it in real life, it was called the Golden Gate Mother's Club. And it did have an online forum that I borrowed some things from for this book. And it had a 
play it, it, it assigned people to play groups. And like my character, I tested some out. You know, you test drive and decide, hmm, I don't think I can last a second longer with these women. <laughs> and then you go you go elsewhere. It's sort of like speed dating. And I eventually did find my playgroup as she did. So there's a lot that I have in common with this character. And of course, fiction allows me to uh, say things I guess I wouldn't really say in real life and um, to amp it up a bit. I love the sense of storytelling in this, and because there are so many places that you're telling stories, there are so mm-hmm. many story arcs baked into this novel. There's the story of Malay and, and her child Ellie and her mm-hmm. adventures with with the playgroup. There's the stories from the playgroup. There are also stories in some of the uh, online quotes <laughs> that yes. run through, and I thought that that was a particularly uh, engaging touch. Uh, you must have had fun making up uh, blog posts from other people. I had a lot of fun, and I didn't do that much work, I have to say. <laughs> um, a lot of them were straight up pilfered. And from reading actual the message board and reading people's messages and questions and posts. So, um, you know, I would tweak it, but... So much of this was inspired or borrowed from real life. Well, this is a wonderful vision of what it's like to bring up a child Mm -hmm. these days because so much has changed, and it's changing ever faster, even within the time scope of the book. Mm -hmm. Because I wrote this, you know, I started writing it when my daughter was two, and she's 11 now, and I'm sure if I had a baby now in San Francisco, it would be a completely different story, or at least the same story, but with different accoutrements and (laughs) different types of strollers and um, probably not a Yahoo group. (laughs) No, not in... (laughs) Give it another year before they've completely boiled Yahoo down to its constituent components. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, Mele is such a delightful character Mm. and you've given us a woman who's um she's a single parent so Mm -hmm. explain that situation i think you do a good job of immediately in creating that character in that situation you induce create a a tension and a plot arc from page turning plot arc from the Mm get-go so she's a single parent not by choice uh she had a boyfriend she was in love with and thought he was going to be there forever but when he she told him she was pregnant. He confessed that he was sort of already engaged. Um, so he's engaged to a woman who's an artisan cheesemaker, and and that's that. And the impetus for her writing this cookbook and f- um, filling out this questionnaire is that he asked her to come to the wedding and have his daughter, Ellie, be the flower girl. So that lights a fire. <laughs> I I love the the sense of snark in this book. Mm-hmm. Uh the prose is really dense and and almost every sentence you can take out and read and, and laugh at or find some really enjoyable twist. Did this how much revision did this require of you? 
the sentences themselves didn't require that much revision. The revision was really in trying to tie the structure together mm. and trying to tie the stories together. But um, as far as, you know, the stories themselves, and that came out pretty quickly. And, um, and it, she was a fun character to write since she was, in a way, bereaved and... Um, insulted and so it allowed her to be snarky and angry and um she even confesses that you know she does something she's has this sort of snarky attitude toward this, these women in her group but she you know kind of real confesses to herself that you know bad behavior comes out of that feeling of just feeling alone and so she she does feel marooned in a sense and that's where a lot of this snark comes from i i think that for me one of the things i really like was to read the inner thoughts of of this character that you let her just really roam free, that she gets to speak without a filter. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of fun. And you go. what's nice is that you uh, go back and forth between third person and first person and other third persons mm -hmm. and other first persons. That's a kind of a daring stylistic melange. Yeah, and that again, that's sort of where the rewriting came into place, to make that work and mm -hmm. to make that fit and... And and yet I couldn't think of doing it any other way. It just it it just seemed that um, something that would happen in this book. And and when it's if it I think if it was all first person, it would just be too much. If it was all her just unfiltered thoughts, <laughs> I think that would that'd be too overwhelming for the reader and for me as the writer. <laughs> uh, well, that brings to to mind a question. I mean. How did you feel creating this character? How close was this to your thoughts? And mm. how, when you were creating this character, did you find yourself having to veer away saying, well, this is a little bit too close to home for yeah. what actually happened to me? No, it, it was close, and I it was okay that it was close. And um, I think get, making her a single mom, and which I wasn't, helped me see her as a distinct character and let me let her go on these adventures that I've never been on. So, well, the circumstances were sort of similar. Um, it, it, it was close, but not too close. And I liked that, you know, her daughter and my actual daughter had so much in common as well. <laughs> um, you know, actually the things Ellie would say were things that my daughter actually said and so it was nice to have my real life um, sort of fictionalized. I, this book has a lot to do with class. Mm -hmm. And, and the, there are so many distinctions and so subtle. I mean, we might think, we like to think lower, upper, mm -hmm. middle, uh, aristocracy. Yeah. I mean, but there are so many subtle distinctions in this book. I mean, it's like layer upon sedimentary layer. Mm -hmm. And yeah, even in when she's in her Pacific Heights group and all the mothers live in these Presidio mansions, there's, you know, one mother who isn't quite as old money as the others. And she's sort <laughs> of looked down upon or frowned upon. So there's that that distinction, but Melly herself is just feels, even though she comes from, 
a good family and has the support. She is nowhere near some of these uh, other women. And I think her age has something to do with it, too. In San Francisco, 27 is a young, is that's a young mother, I would think. And um, or at least I felt that way at the time. And so she especially feels her youth and her lack of money. She doesn't have a career like these women do or their the, these women's husbands do. She doesn't have a husband at all. And um, so, so she's her perspective is definitely of an outsider, even though she's not, you know, down and out. Tell us about creating the people in the group. There's a, there's even a Henry who turns out mm-hmm. uh, not to be a Henrietta. Yeah, there has to be a Henry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted a man in the group. I th- um, there's so many fathers who you know are at these playgrounds every day. I would see them all the time, and um, I I was just interested in who these guys were. And Henry is sort of. He's of the Presidio world, but he doesn't want to be part of that world. And he sort of likes to <laughs> lurk at these other playgrounds and just find people who maybe resemble who he used to be. And he's having marital problems, and so that's that makes him even more immersed in this, this playgroup. But I don't think it's very common for men to be in these playgroups. I, I don't think I've ever seen men in a play group so i thought well here we go let's do this uh tell us about creating annie i really liked annie mm-hmm. and, and uh what's nice is that we meet all the characters and then we we get to hear their stories which mm-hmm. gives us a and a very different uh, perspective of them so let's start with uh, annie yeah annie is that mom you see with you know dyed hair and tattoos and <laughs> tank tops and you know but who also has a gorgeous apartment and um whose husband is like a music producer or something like that and I knew Annie um a version of Annie and I loved her and she was one of the first moms I met and she was so irreverent and sort of punk rock and it it after being in these mommy playgroups it was just like a breath of fresh air and I just it opened my eyes and wow, moms can be this way. You know, they don't have to be just one way. And Annie as a character definitely feels like she's not mom enough and she needs to earn these mom credentials and how is she going to do that and how do you fit in without erasing yourself? And so that's that's Annie and she, she she likes to smoke weed. That's one of her pastimes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's another reason that, you know, she just, she'd rather do that than get her, go to the Manny Petty party sponsored by the moms group. And she's just, every, every, every character sort of finding themselves and making, making, I guess just making it work and making it, making themselves feel that, I'm a mom, and I can be both both things, and I can I could be it all. I think that's what interests me too is that 
how all of uh, these characters mm-hmm. are sizing up one another. Mm-hmm. And so we'll hear how one what one character thinks of the other. Then we'll get into the other right. and find out how they think. Mm-hmm. And that kind of contrast makes this a really delightful reading experience. Oh, that's good. That's good to know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it, it, it's it's fun the 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 shifts in perspective. I mean, that's kind of why I, I do that too, because you never really know what somebody else is thinking, and um, and you never. I I guess when you're seeing th- things through Melly's eyes, you don't necessarily you only know them through her eyes, and then you get into the character, and it just the other character, and it just adds different layers. Now, there's a character who exists kind of outside of the uh, the, the mm-hmm. narrative. Uh, she's referred to in the posts. I'm trying to remember her name. Uh, she actually does get a, a little part. Um, uh, Annie goes to visit... Is it Annie? It's, I think it's Annie who goes to visit oh, her. Oh, Tabor, How- yes. Tabor. Tabor Boyard. Did you know a Tabor Boyard and explain this type of mother and, and who she was? Yeah, there were many Tabor Boyards. Um, <laughs> they would post, you know, ask questions on the forum of on where they can find the best curtain consultant and stucco consultant and nursing and organizer. And it the posts were sort of a way to let mothers know and even just anonymous mothers know who they were and what their what their home looked like and they'd slip in details into these posts which would reveal their kind of station and um and what they value and um you know they and it was their way of asserting themselves i guess and Tabor Boyard would do that with you know with her advice on how much to pay a babysitter what to feed them and she always leaves her charge card by the phone with menus and she just does everything perfectly and everything right (laughs) at least according to her according to her yes and i think that that's one of the the things that i enjoyed most about this book is that all of the mothers have are you know there are really wonderful mothers and they're Mm. trying really hard right and yet they're all like looking at themselves and finding themselves mm-hmm. wanting and looking at the other mothers who are finding themselves wanting but presenting this great face. Mm-hmm. So there's this kind of uh, public versus private persona constantly yes. at work here. Mm-hmm. And I talk about your experiences with that and then reworking that for the book. Yeah. Well, I mean, my experiences were... Mainly, I mean, I wouldn't really give any kind of private or public persona. I just sort of showed and showed up. But um, my experiences were, you know, were just reading these blog posts and I guess and feeling either highly entertained or just afraid. (laughs) And just that same feeling of how much of myself do I put out there? How much do I show and how much do I reveal or do I just go and talk about sleep and potty schedules and <laughs> and be bored to death? And so I think 
all of us sort of tried. We we inch by inch, you know, you put you put yourself out there a little bit and a little bit more and you sort of test the waters. And so that's what I related to or that's what is feels real. But um I did, you know, some of these blog posts even or not blog posts, but posts on the forum, um, they were all I think they're all pretty much true. They're all taken from what I've overheard or um, seen or something said to me. Um, so it was f- really fun <laughs> to <laughs> lace them in, lace them in here and to have just such real things that happened, um, in a novel and have these, have it all work together and play off of each other. Um, but those posts, I mean, they're, they were entertaining and they were also just, you know, you, they're, they're, they're nerve wracking as well. You're, you're always just reminded that, wow, I don't feel this way. And do I need to? (laughs) (laughs) I think that that's uh, at the core. One of the things that this book is about is about understanding Mm self-definition and defining yourself as you define your way into a friendship, Mm -hmm. because these are all adults and they're all like trying to see can I be friends with these people? Mm-hmm. Do I really want to be friends with these people? Am I the kind of person who even has friends? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you're all you're doing it. I mean, in the end, you're going to do your best because you want your children to have friends and a social life. And um, I mean, that was my incentive um, to have her meet other children. And and so I think in the, at the end of the day. Um, Judging people and the snark, it, it's a way to bond. It's a way to assert yourself. And it's also something that you, th- everyone's just doing their best and everyone is really just trying to be a good mom in the end. I think that uh, you, out of this book, it's really rich with social observations of America here in the mm-hmm. early 21st century. You know, our product mm-hmm. um, obsessions are are what we think are the current health obsessions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, capturing that moment, you do a really wonderful job. And uh, so talk about, like, the kind of details that you put into the book that help you capture like these subtle uh, clashes of mm. class that happen. You know, there's somebody who has the super, there's uh, Tabor, she's got like the mm-hmm. super ultra, ultra, ultra rich stuff. And mm-hmm. then there's somebody who's like pretty rich, rich in comparison to Mele and mm-hmm. Ellie. So there's got all these layers of uh, wealth. Yes. And I think that's that was also inspired by San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, I mean, I'm sure it's like that in New York, say, but I don't think there would be all these observations, on all these different levels and layers in, say, the Midwest or Hawaii. So that was definitely inspired by San Francisco and the things I observed, mothers needing and wanting, and also just their, it comes from a fear of making bad choices I mm-hmm. um, there's so much just fear about making that perfect choice and and so that I, I guess that's where it came from and even um, like Tabor has the 
elimination consultant. And, <laughs> 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 and someone like Annie is saying, you know, my my child will not say the word elimination. He will say, I, I need to crap my pants. You know, that, and that's how they define themselves. And I'm not sure if I answered the question, but <laughs> it's just... It's just what I observed being here. I don't think I would have this experience, or I didn't have this experience raising, say, my second child in Hawaii. Well, I think, too, that this is a a really interesting look at the way we're raising our children Mm now, um, trying to find that that, sweet spot between being a helicopter parent Mm -hmm. and being an absent parent. Mm -hmm. And so... uh, did you like study child rearing books to and to look at what some of these people were coming with up with, or was no. this just all? <laughs> this was just me being in a play group and um, me being and exaggerating it and um, having fun with it. But I have to say, that I have the experience of comparison with raising my son in Hawaii, and I would never. I mean, I would never have not wanted this experience. Raising a child in San Francisco, there are so many more opportunities to socialize and um, things for kids to do. And I found Hawaii completely lacking in that. I, I um, you know, we would drive we would drive around looking at playgrounds and do you see any kids? You know, <laughs> do you see one there? And I don't know, it was, it was much more isolating and lonely and um, different, laid back, a little more carefree. Um, but I loved having a child here. And for all of its neuroses, um, there's just a, there's a lot of opportunity and a lot to do and a lot of people to meet and interact with every day. Uh one of the things that you point out in this book uh, in a couple of scenes that are really fun is that kids will say things uh, un- unfiltered by culture about mm-hmm. sex and race mm-hmm. that <laughs> will upset adults and yes. and will point out adults' own hypocrisies and their own discomforts with these things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really interesting observation. Yeah, I mean, it's... It- it allow, kids allow <laughs> they're they're unfiltered but they're also getting it from somewhere mm-hmm. um be it their parents or school and you know i i had kids you know talk about sexuality and um at the dinner table and have their parents be very uncomfortable and <laughs> um and with race you know um the for the 13 year old birthday party he wanted to have a hood party and the <laughs> the mom absolutely flipped out but then in the process she had to explain why it was bad and that lent you know a lot of discussion and and reality um explain for those of us mm-hmm. who have not experienced a hood party mm-hmm. what is a hood party well i have not experienced it myself either but it's where or it has happened, I guess it has happened where suburban kids or white kids um, pretend they're in the hood. What it, And they're, you know, I, I think it would vary by how they perceive what a hood is and what that means. Um, in this case, the, the kids, you know, 
wore baggy pants and, you know, danced in the basement to rap music. Um, and the mother was entertaining other mothers up, um, you know, on the second floor and went down and saw what was happening and just was appalled. And then was faced with that, with the um, difficulty of explaining to her child who had no idea that it was bad at all. He, he, he and his friends thought it was perfectly innocent that, that this and so that humor ensues. <laughs> uh, and I should say that this is one of the funniest books I've read in, in quite some time. Oh, good. You do a lot of great turns of the phrase. Uh, uh, when when you were writing this, were these bits of humor in each little bit that you were creating off kind of offline? Mm, well, like anything, I I think humor comes out in rewrites. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you sort of find that something funny, and I think just with rewriting, you're you're just finding that tone. You want, to, or at least I like things to be realistic. But no, I think I I find it easier to be funny. I don't try that hard. If anything, I try harder to make it work and to make it um, resonate. Uh, I think that uh, you do a great job of both in this book. And, and part of this is, too, is is how condensed this is. I mean, mm-hmm. this book packs in a whole lot of plot and a whole lot of character in, in a, you know, an afternoon's read right. or, or so. And I think it's really, it's sweet, and but you won't, will not forget it. Uh, when you were creating these different parts... Did you have any idea that they all fall together sometime? Or No, I didn't. I was creating the different parts and wanted them to fall together and didn't know how. Um, and I have to say this was one of my hardest books, um, not in terms of each section, but putting it all together and tying it in and making it work. Um, Oh, I'm tired. I'm tired just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you have to have like a, a giant spreadsheet on the wall with all sorts of stickies and uh, complicated arrows back and forth? I can see the uh, football play version. Yeah, of kind of in a way, you know, but mainly it was just finding it. I think once you find that thing, and for me, that thing was the author questionnaire, something I had in the beginning but didn't pull it through the entire book and so that when i found that motif and sort then things fell into their little places i i like your sense of story in this book because it's you tell stories in this book on a variety of levels there's like little anecdotes within each of the you know, pieces, somebody will say some, you know, they'll talk about what happened to them today, and that's Mm -hmm. entertaining. And then there's each of the stories that we hear, whether it's Henry's or Barrett's or Annie's. And then there's the big story, and then there's the stories that go run through Mm -hmm. the blog posts. Um, These, this is a really, uh, uh, a story rich book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, I think that is also because I wrote individual short stories without planning on connecting them in any way or even knowing if they were going to be published at all. I wrote 
you know, about four or five stories and, and then created the structure to the book. Um, so yeah, the stories were there and, um, but they, and then I wanted to make them all lead toward, I guess the, this wedding at the end mm-hmm. is also one of those things that tied, tied it in. But um, it is a story-rich book, and I, I love writing. It was an opportunity, again, even though it's a novel, but to write stories, where I, which is where I started. Mm-hmm. And again, I guess that's, I just made it harder on myself because I really find short stories to be, harder to write than a novel and so I ended up writing short stories and a novel Jesus what am I thinking <laughs> <laughs> well I thought that um this book there's a uh, uh age-old tradition in the science fiction genre mm-hmm. um started by A. Van Vogt back in the 1930s and Isaac Asimov was another one mm-hmm. where they'd publish a bunch of short stories and amazing and then they just Put them all together into what they called a fix-up novel, mm-hmm. and you, and it, that the themes on those can kind of show. Um, Ray Bradbury's, I think, Martian Chronicles mm-hmm. that is, has that, and I Robot does, and the Weapon Shops of Isher, they all do this. Put a bunch of stuff together. I think what's nice about yours is that that really does not show the the seams do not show. It mm-hmm. seems like. The short stories grow out of the whole work, and mm-hmm. I think that that's a, a really um, that's a huge accomplishment. Well, hey, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you were um, creating, uh, one of the things I think that the the short story collection feel of this, um, and there is a bit of that, mm-hmm. you know, as we go from this. Um, talk about like pacing the stories within the big stories. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, Henry's story and Annie's story and Barrett's story. I mean, these are all really interesting, like, little stories. Did you mm. have to – did they go in untouched or did they get um, – Oh, no, no. Surgically altered? Oh, no, no. There was surgery. There's a lot of um, t- tucks and <laughs> – <laughs> Nips and tucks? Nips and tucks and implants and and they all had to tie back to melee and – they had to move. No, I, I, I had to write these stories and then rewrite them after I found the structure and just call me Dr. Hemmings. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is a, this is a Frankenstein. Then. Yeah. I, I love that this book wallows, not in sentimentality, but mm-hmm. embarrassment. Yeah. <laughs> no, too many people. Don't. I think true. embarrassment is is an underexplored emotion. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and Mele is constantly confronting this. So mm-hmm. uh, did you find it embarrassing to write about embarrassment? No, that's fun <laughs> because that means it's over. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, right. You know? And now you get to write about it. So, uh, so that means that embarrassment has become useful to me in some way. <laughs> and so it was worth it. Um, no, but she was constantly embarrassed. I remember being embarrassed showing up at the play date with, like, in normal clothes, like I'm wearing now, not realizing I had to look like I was going to Coachella or the Golden Globes. Or I remember being so excited to meet, oh, hi, I'm Cowie, you know, this is my daughter. 
and having the answer be, oh, your stroller brake isn't on. <laughs> like, I was constantly mortified. But then I would go home and just say, well, I can write about it. <laughs> that gave you an advantage mm-hmm. that they did not have. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, your stroller brake becomes their character moment <laughs> in the book. Do you think any of the people that you knew will recognize themselves in this book? Um, No. Because people don't know what they, <laughs> <laughs> what they look like and what their faults are. But, um, you know, I think if anything, just as if this was written, I, I think people would recognize themselves and hopefully be able to laugh about it. Mm-hmm. Because Melly laughs at herself and um, gets laughed at. And I think in the end... Everyone is in on something mm-hmm. together, so people may people may recognize themselves mainly because they actually said the things. <laughs> <laughs> they they may have they may remember that, but um, let's just say I only write about the things I love. And uh, as in the uh, piece I had you read, you uh, talked about uh, being someone who listens. So mm-hmm. you are you are the um, prototypical eavesdropping writer. I really am. And it's funny because I was with my daughter last night having dinner. And I said, wait, wait, be quiet, be quiet. And I wanted her to listen to the people behind us. And it was two guys on a date. And it was just one guy talking the entire time. I'm like, listen, he's the only one talking. He's been talking for about 45 minutes straight. And she's like, you're eavesdropping. And I said, no, no, no. I'm observing life around me. (laughs) Oh, yeah, boy. Isn't it? It's really wild when you get, when you actually have to sit next to, to, we call them the loud Larrys Uh Uh, from Dilbert. There's a character who used to talk loud all the time. But I love it. It's, it's, I really don't consider it. Um, so much as eavesdropping in the negative sense, but just really like paying attention to the world around you, especially if you're, I never feel alone, even if I'm at dinner alone, um, just by looking at the woman next to me and how she's sitting maybe comfortably or uncomfortably or looking at the couple, um, next to me. I, I'm always entertained, um, just by observation. Well, and that's true. As we read this novel, um, it's one thing you're certainly going to do after you read this novel is look mm-hmm. at the people around you more. But I think that that's part of being a parent mm-hmm. is observing the world around you and figuring out where you fit in. And mm-hmm. that's that's what this whole book about is figuring out where where do I fit in? Yes, where do I fit in, and what am I what am I going to teach this little one next to me? You know. Oh, there's actually a, a part where uh, I, one of the characters thinks, I want to fit in with people that weren't nice to me when I was young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that this is this is a, a universal ambition of all humans. We all want to go back to our teenage, pre-teenage years and informed with whatever we've learned as adults mm-hmm. or not mm-hmm. and say, okay, now I can fit in. Yeah. And being in a new situation just exaggerates that. I think whether you're a new mom in a new place or anywhere as a so I think you could relate to this without son baby, you know, um, because it's really just about finding that fit um, wherever you may be. 
Oh yeah, no, this is not a book that is uh, specifically. Uh, I think you you don't have to be a parent or a woman or anything to read this book. All you have to do is be a person who looks at likes to laugh mm -hmm. and, and likes to understand people. And I think that the the truth level in this book is what's so powerful. It's both funny and affecting. And when you're writing, telling the truth, and you're writing this out, do you know in the moment whether that truth is going to be funny or poignant or pointed or both? I kind of don't. Um, <laughs> I want it to be all of those things. Um, and in the end, I, you know, hopefully it has that satire with soul. That's always what I kind of am aiming for. Yeah, that <laughs> mission accomplished. Oh, good. I, the uh, one of the the characters that we we meet in here, or we kind of meet, is um, the the characters who are in the blog post, and I I love Al. I think Al is the oh, yes. Is so much fun, mm -hmm. and as you created these, did you know um, who these people were? The posters. Did you like have um, separate character logs for all of these people as well? I mean, I'm there's a lot of characters in this book. You mean in in real life? Did I? Well, or... uh, <laughs> I guess. Did you know in real life who the people were? No, mm -hmm. I but I only knew them from you know their message book. Yeah, from oh. their post. But I never really met anybody in real life. But um, no, that was just you know one more thing that I had to make complicated for myself is to create so many different characters um, uh, and trying to keep track of all them, and then having that kind of be a story as well, going through all the all the little posts. Um, so that was another thing. <laughs> Well, I think, too, that uh, the sense of motherhood in this book is really interesting because uh, motherhood, to a certain extent, has this kind of simplistic feel to it mm -hmm. on one hand from the classic 50s um, mom in the kitchen cooking. Mm -hmm. And we have a very simple idea. In this book, motherhood is the most complicated mm -hmm. thing in the entire universe. I'd rather try to run a Fortune 500 company <laughs> or, or like work at an incredibly complicated plant than try to be a mother. <laughs> so would I. No, it, that's how I felt it, you know, at that time. Um, and especially for my character, it's even more complicated um, without a partner and without a real career and trying to do that with a small child. So that's, yeah, that, that it got complicated. <laughs> uh, the various women characters in this, occasionally we, we you just flat out have fun. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking of when we meet Courtney and Betts. Yes. <laughs> uh, the, these are like, um, really the most annoying humans <laughs> that you could possibly imagine. So well, You this said is, it. <laughs> so it must be fun to kind of like, it's on occasion when you're writing this, because mm -hmm. you mostly keep to pretty realistic types, but occasionally mm -hmm. you just want to like turn it up to 11. Yes, yeah. And so I definitely turned it up there, um, even though 
there's seeds of reality in each each one of them. I mean, they I let them be particularly obnoxious. Another source of just humiliation for Melly. That's you know this that was me showing up at the play date and and that was her showing up at the play date in jeans and a sweatshirt, which was just not appropriate. And so no, that's where I really I had fun with those characters and just as a way to show her what she was up against too. And she just felt, wow, this is it. This is all there is for me out there. This was one of her first play dates and it was just a bunch of women who, you know, lived in these mansions and had nannies and um she didn't think there was anything else out there, which is which is funny because I mean San Francisco's a big place and there's a lot of variations but she didn't she didn't know this and actually the play the play groups sort of set you up by tax bracket and (laughs) (laughs) when she first signed up she was in this dingy little apartment but it was in Pacific Heights and so um, her, her her zip code forced her with these women and then you know she gave them a test run and didn't last very long. Uh, I think that one of the things that you uh, point out is that moms don't know how to act. And, and there's one question where there's one point where, you know, she's wondering, was I a bad mother for my lack of facial expressions and mm-hmm. hand gesticulations? <laughs> Should I start drinking before talking with other mothers? Like, yeah. I think. Because... Yeah, I and I felt that way too. Like you weren't so excited by um the thought the the wooden toys. Like there was a conversation about wooden toys and some moms would just get really excited and and she just felt, "Wow, I'm not really that excited about this topic." But she had to pretend she was and um found herself even lying and saying, "God, I love that toy," just so she would not look like a <laughs> complete idiot. <laughs> I think that the you know this book has such a wonderful feel to it uh, a kind of a lived in feel and it's funny and it also tells us so much about so many different types of Americans and different levels of society in such a succinct uh piece of work mm-hmm. um when you're creating all this stuff and I'm putting it I mean this kind of is almost like a kitchen sink novel in a sense mm-hmm. uh, is this is there like an 800 page version of this somewhere yeah it's in the it's in the trash um, <laughs> <laughs> no no it it did feel like that and you know I did have to let a lot go especially with the post and because you want it it you don't want it to just just be funny. I wanted it to relate to Melly's story and the story's the thing and I need to keep that plot and otherwise it's a memoir or you know a satire or something like that. So no, I did let a lot go. I like I like succinct, you know, mm-hmm. even though there's a lot going on and there's a lot there. I'm not a fan of the long long novels. Well, I think that it just strikes me that being so succinct also mm-hmm. goes in goes hand in hand with being truthful because mm-hmm. uh you cut to the chase this is mm-hmm. a novel that constantly cuts to the chase yeah 
Yeah, I don't know any other way. <laughs> Even with my own interactions, I, I kind of cut to the chase. Having written the quintessential San Francisco mom book, yeah. I, th I think that this is, I, I don't I think so. one's been written, and I think that this is uh, clearly uh, best, of, best in class. Uh, have you started a new book yet? Do you know where you're going to go next? I have started a young adult novel. So this is your second young adult novel? This would novel. be my second, yes. I, I in, really enjoyed writing the first, and so I wanted to try a second. So I'm still working on it, though. Is it, is it going to follow the same characters in your first? No, it's going to move to Colorado. Now, you're such a... I do that a lot. <laughs> you're such a jumper, geo-jumper. Geo I know. Uh, uh We've got Colorado, Hawaii, and San Francisco. And mm -hmm. I think the very specific locales seem to feed in so much to your writing. They do. And it's, it's I mean, I've lived in all these three places, and they've all three meant a lot to me. And this, this is sort of, sort of the way I'm able to document the place and some of my experiences, but mainly the place. And I, I can't help myself. I, I, I really do like to jump in within those three places. I've lived in New York too, but I don't see myself writing a New York novel. I don't, for some reason, it just, it, it's not in me. But I, I, I have a feeling after the Colorado, I'll go back to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> I've been speaking with Cowie Hart Hemmings. Her new novel is How to Party with an Infant. Uh, not nonfiction. <laughs> Thank you very much, Cowie. Right. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.